Hi everyone, it's the Shagalala Salami Show. It's a podcast show set in a virtual cafe and I'm your host Shagalala Salami. If this is your first time listening to the show, like I said, the show is set in a virtual cafe and the aim of the show is to either educate, motivate or inspire you. I hope that at the end of each episode, including today's episode, you will leave the show feeling like you've learned something new or be motivated or inspired. I have guests from all walks of life come on the show, both authors and non-authors, who share their experiences of achieving whatever we're going to chat about on the show that day, or they share their expert opinion on how you can do something in your personal life today. Everyone is in lockdown because of, you know, very popular coronavirus. I hope you're all at home staying safe and being safe. Um, I normally let my guests introduce themselves. Um, we normally do have, we are set in the virtual cafe, but I think with the whole coronavirus, you know, no one feels like going out, you know, into a real cafes anymore. So hopefully our virtual cafe show would entertain you a little bit. So who have I got here with me today? Hey, Sigalula. Uh, this is Gavin Routledge. I have been an osteopath for nearly 30 years, two times author, books on lower back pain. And I am delighted to join you on your show uh, to help the listeners with anything related to lower back pain and or sciatica. Awesome. Nice to have you, Gavin. Um, and how are you coping or how are you dealing with the lockdown where you are? Oh, well, it's, you know, it's completely turned my life upside down, really. Um, I'm normally out at work. I normally leave very early in the morning and come back well, fairly late. So, of course, now I'm working from home. We have two small children who are uh, enjoying the fact that I work from home. Um, and I sort of enjoy some of that, but it's a challenge, isn't it? Yes, yes, yes. So what made you go into osteopathy? I have been an osteopath man and boy, Sigalola. I am first, I had a, a, a modest neck injury playing rugby when I was 15 years old. And my mum took me to see an osteopath. And um, I was so impressed by what he did that that sowed the seed. So I had the choice to either study medicine or osteopathy and decided to go for osteopathy. And I've been an osteopath since just before my 22nd birthday, which is uh, a couple of decades or closer to three decades ago now. Yeah. Okay. So there are lots of bone body related terms that are very similar. What's an osteopath and how is it different to all the different yeah, ones like, you know, yeah. chiropractor and, you know, they're just lots of popular terms. What are they, how are they all I will, different? I will try and be even handed about this description. I've written a bunch of podcasts and blog posts and so on about the difference. But um, broadly speaking, I mean, osteopathy is probably badly named, as you can guess, osteo, os, osteo means bone. Um, so we, we do have a focus on the muscular and skeletal system, as do probably chiropractors, as do physiotherapists and massage therapists. Osteopathy is, in the UK, a statutorily regulated profession. So osteopathy is a protected title. You have to have done at least a four-year degree course to be an osteopath now. But the difference is broadly, I would say there's actually more differences within each profession than there are between them, if that makes sense. 
So you could go and see an osteopath one day, go and see another osteopath the next day, and it could be a completely different experience. Interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of avoiding the question, am I? So what, so what does... Yeah, because I'm trying to get there. What does an osteopath um, do? Yeah, so I, well, I'll, I'll speak for myself. I, for my whole career, have focused on the musculoskeletal system. So that's everything from headaches, because an awful lot of headaches originate in the neck muscles, all the way down to sore big toes and everything in between, but very much specialized in spinal problems and especially lower back pain and sciatica. So we work out what's causing your problem we normally, uh, outside of lockdown, I, I'm a manual therapist, so I put my hands on people to help them to feel better and also educate and hopefully a bit of your motivation and inspiration as well. Okay. So why am I asking this question, right? Because when I first had my daughter, um, I would say, so let me say, I had my daughter in November 15th. And January, I don't know if it was like January 1st or January 2nd, but very early in January 2016, I woke up one day and I had this pain that felt like what I imagined someone had been stabbed wow. was feeling, right? And it was just under my shoulder. And oh my good Lord, I was literally almost on house arrest, right? So I went to see my doctor and I was like, well, I don't know. It just came. I didn't do anything. I just woken up and he goes, yeah, it's motherhood pain. And I'm like, seriously? No one told me that motherhood comes with back pain, right? And I'd seen physio, they just go, yeah, do this exercise and that was it. And it was like, okay. And, you know, so here I am. And because it got so bad, the physio did say to me at one point, you need to stay home for six months. Don't go out apart from maybe, say, 30 minutes once a week um, to go and get some fresh air. Um, and, you know, that really helped. Because she said, if you didn't do that, you're probably going to, you know, knacker your back muscles and it will never get better um, and so did that was taking lots of I was taking tramadol and so the pain has reduced considerably since then so I've never really heard of an osteopath doing back pain because from my personal experience I was referred uh -huh. to a physio so I was trying to just get my head around how what you do is it is that sort of the same thing as a physio or is it different to a physio or is, is an osteopath better for back pain than a physio. Like, I'm just trying to get my yeah, head around I, I know this. it's difficult. Um, so one way to describe it is that chiropractors do a lot of manipulation of the spine. So what um, the, probably the most memorable technique people will know about is the kind of clicking and cracking of joints. Physios tend to be more okay. at the spectrum of exercise orientated and osteopaths are somewhere in the middle. Um, so that's that's one explanation, but it is a generalist one. As I said, there are a lot of differences within each profession, but most people, that would be their experiences. That chiropractors do a lot of clicking and cracking, physios more exercise prescription, and osteopaths somewhere in the middle. But um, yeah, um, you can see I hate to be drawn on that question. <laughs> Because truthfully, right, because if you come from someone who is not in the industry or who is not in the field, we get confused. I, I, I would like to think I'm not the only one who gets confused about the different yeah. terms. No, um, if, you, if you read the definitions of each, so if you go to the, the website of each of the registering regulatory bodies for each profession, you'll see the definitions are bewilderingly similar. 
you know, it's really difficult to differentiate between the three professions just in words. But in practical experience, I would say that osteopathy and chiropractic are almost, in, in most cases, more hands-on. So people, you know, you, you'll, most, all of my patients are used to having me do things to them. Yeah. <clears throat> but, um, yeah. To be honest, that was what I thought was going to happen when I was referred to the physio. I thought I was going to go there, they would look at my back, do some pushes or massage or whatever it is. And she was like, yeah, no, I'm not a masseuse. And yeah, I'm just going to tell you what uh -huh. to do. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, information, as you said in your introductory comments there, kind of education is really, really important. I can, in most cases, do things to people to make them feel better in the short term, but it's only really by educating people that I can empower them to help themselves in the long term. Yeah. Okay, so quick question. So, like, I think I mentioned this before. When I first had this most excruciating pain, right, and my GP said, uh, oh, yeah, it's just been a mother pain. Um, is it really common for women to just generate back pain when they become mothers? I mean, I know I had to have a spinal um, because I was having uncontrolled bleeding, and so they needed to take me to theater to try and resolve the bleeding. Um, so do you think that also could have had a, you know, a role to play? Like, what's the incidence if you knew at all? I, I know this is just, I'm just, it's just, as we're just talking, yeah. it just got me curious. Like, is this something that's part and parcel of being a mother? Yeah, I mean, back pain is part and parcel of being a human. But there's no doubt that the, the, the physical stresses and strains and probably, you know, the other stresses and strains of being a mother to a young child and a baby definitely increase the, the kind of incidence of back pain. So, uh, I mean, it sounds like the pain that you had, you described as just below your shoulder blades, and was it only on one side? No. Only on one side, yes. Yeah, I mean, that's quite side. a common area to get pain as a mother of a, of a baby. Um, it's often, so people's experience is often that they just wake up one day or the pain comes on suddenly and it's like it's come out of the blue. But the reality is that you were heading for that pain probably for quite some time. And then there was just a, you know, maybe the way you lay in bed that night just triggered something to go wrong, but you've probably been heading for it for a while. And the causes, the, what I call the risk factors, are more than likely things like spending a long time in one position, like feeding, um, doing a lot of bending over, yeah. over a cot in awkward positions, and all of these things build up over time until one day, wham, it all seems to go wrong. I can see where you're coming from now. I can see where you're coming from now. So, okay. I mean, my pain is way under control. So I have been one of the things that I know I'm very lazy when it comes to doing, you know, particular exercises. But the one exercise that I've been very good with doing of all the ones the physio gave me to do, right? I, what do they call it? Is it the Buddha pose? or the No, not the Buddha pose. The baby pose. You know where you're sort of like, I don't know how to describe it. You know, like where the baby, they have their knees drawn yeah. up to their belly and then you've got your arms stretched mm -hmm. out. So I do that in the morning and I do that at night time. I don't know why, but that one just sort of sticks to me and I could do that twice uh -huh. a day. Um, and I think the stretching does help, you know, keep my pain under control. And obviously 
I have to make sure that I'm not standing up for too long or I'm not sitting upright for too long. Um, so that's what I do. But then, you know, obviously we have in lockdown, people can't go out as much. They probably don't know what advice to do. What would you advise, say, people who are having um, chronic back pain to do, you know, during this lockdown? Because everyone has to yeah. sit at home. People who would normally go to the gym can't go to the gym anymore. You know, someone might just be thinking, oh, I can feel this pain, you know, and it's never probably not gotten to the extent that mine mm -hmm. did. Like, what advice would you give? Well, um, probably a number, but I'll try and keep it brief. Um, the first one is to recognize the biological purpose of pain. Pain is quite simply an alarm system. It's there to warn you that if you keep doing the thing that's sore, then chances are you're going to do yourself some damage or further damage. So the first thing is to recognize and try and work out what are the things I'm doing when it's sore and try not to do them as much or try to do them in a different way such that it isn't sore. So that's the first thing is identify exactly what the causes are for that pain. Then secondly, I would say it's really important to make sure that you stay active so don't, you know, don't, don't just sit around waiting for lockdown to end. Try and maintain a good level of physical activity because physical inactivity is definitely a risk factor for back pain. And I like to combine those two ideas of avoiding making it worse with avoiding being inactive in my number one rule, which is use it, but don't abuse it. Which simply means, you know, the more physical activity you do that doesn't hurt, the better. So that's um, that's the kind of big, high-level, 25,000-foot advice I would always give people is use it, but don't abuse it. Mm, okay, fair enough. But then, isn't it... So, for instance, when I stay yep. upright for too long, so, for instance, if I'm walking about doing things at home, whatever it is, right, and I do that consistently... Mm -hmm. After a few minutes, I feel my back going into a spasm. Okay. Yeah. Right? And then I have to stop and then I have to lay back down and, you know, to just sort of wait out the spasm. Or sometimes, you know, where the lying down doesn't really help, I'll ask someone to give my back a little up. Actually, I do with my daughter and I tell her because she's, she's only five and I get her to punch my back a little she's bit. To try she's your therapy it. slave. <laughs> <laughs> But seriously, right? what child wouldn't enjoy punching their yeah. mother's back? So I think, Sigilola, this could easily turn into a uh, an online consultation about your back pain. Um, it, it sounds to me like your back pain is still an issue that's still ongoing. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 not as, it's nowhere near as bad no. as it was in okay. 2016. 2016, oh my God. I was almost yeah. in tears. So do you mind me asking, Is will you have some back pain most days? As long as I keep my... I don't put too much strain on my back, so I'm either not standing too much or I'm not sitting upright too much. As long as I stay at an angle, mm -hmm. then I'm fine most yeah. of the time. And how long is too much? So standing at the kitchen sink how long can you do that before your back will get sore i think it, it also depends on everything so for instance the, we've been since we started i've been 
stand in just because I'm trying to avoid my daughter and her cousin and you know they're gonna come running around and stuff so I've been walking and trying to avoid mm -hmm. them so we've been doing I don't know what 15 16 minutes something yeah. like that I would say that at the moment it's not a pain but I can feel that okay if I don't go and change my upright position later on it probably would start hurting yeah. Okay, so that's very common that staying in one position is a frequent trigger for back pain. Um, the technical term is sustained loading. So basically, if you stay in one position for a prolonged period of time, the load slowly builds up and your back becomes fatigued. And its only way of telling you that there's a problem coming is by giving you pain. Now, you would like to think that you ought to be able to sit or stand still for more than 15, 20 minutes at a time without getting a sore back. Uh, and, and I think you should be able to. So my interpretation of what you're telling me is that, yeah, okay, so you're not having the severe pains you did when it first started, but you still clearly have a weakness in your back. And I think this is a tremendous opportunity during lockdown to turn a weak back into a strong back. Um, so, yeah, so there are things that you can do to strengthen your back. Um, I, I guess one of the first principles would be to recognize that you still have a weakness and that it's important that you get stronger so that this isn't an issue for the rest of your life. Because, you know, if it's going to be an issue for the rest of your life, who, who knows, it might actually get worse again. So the best way of ensuring it's not going to get worse is to make it better, is to get stronger and as I was going to go on to say, the most important thing you can do is to prioritize yourself, is to say, okay, I've still got this issue. I need to do something about it. What can I do about it? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really persist at this, and I'm going to hammer it until I've solved the problem. So prioritizing the problem, I think, is often something that particularly mothers of young children struggle with because, you know, they put the kids first. Um, and that's, I completely understand that, but in the long term, it, it will bite you. You know, you, you are likely to suffer long-term back pain, which is never going to kill you, but um, it does affect your quality of life. Okay, so I know what you're saying, but then, so can I just bring another angle to just get your opinion yeah. about it? So when the whole back pain started, right, I then started doing research because I'm like, I, I couldn't understand what was going on, right? Like I like to figure out what's going on because just saying to me, oh yeah, it's part and parcel of motherhood, just accept it, was not really good enough for me. So I started reading everything that I could, right? And then I discovered that there's something called diastasis recti, which basically means from my late-term understanding, you know, your abdominal muscles, they um, expand, so the baby grows, and I had a big baby bump, and then after you've had the baby, your muscles are supposed to come back together, and then mine didn't come back together, so my GP then put me to get an ultrasound scan, I think mm -hmm. it was, and there was like a four-centimeter yep. gap between my abdominal muscles, and, you know, so the GP then said, because at that time, it was about two years after my daughter was born. And most, I guess most people would say that after about six weeks, that gap should have more or less closed naturally. Yeah. So if after two years, there was still a four centimeters yeah. gap, then it probably needed to be um, 
surgically repaired. But obviously we know that the NHS doesn't have any money. And so the NHS considers diastasis uh, recti repair to be cosmetic surgery and is not stuff that's going to get covered by the NHS, which my doctor was really frustrated about and I was really mm -hmm. frustrated about because obviously getting a private um, cosmetic surgeon costs a yeah. lot of money. Right? Yeah. In my understanding right, that because my abdominal muscles are not close together and they're not working at their capacity, my back muscles are overcompensating. Does that sound like a logical conclusion? Because that was what me and my doctor came sort of concluded yeah, it's, to. It's a tempting conclusion and it's definitely one a lot of clinicians will um, put forward as a, as, a, as a good theory. Um, so I think particularly when it comes to lower back pain, that is more likely to be relevant or strongly relevant but when it comes to this back pain to one side just below your shoulder blade it's less likely to be a factor um, as you say the diastasis recti you know if it hasn't resolved after certainly three to four months it's unlikely to ever on its own um, my wife has it as well she's about three centimeter gap now and she well the young youngest is um what two and a half so that's you know that's never going to fix itself but again i would focus on what you can do rather than what you can't do and there are definitely a lot of things you can do exercise wise to again turn that weak back into a strong back um and just to touch on your last point of are your back muscles overcompensating for your the gap in your abdominal muscles? I think that's unlikely. Um, so I accept the principle that everything is interconnected, but I don't think there's a strong enough connection between the weakness in your front to then cause your back muscles to overwork. Right. Okay. Okay. Okay, so what are the five tips, you know, in terms of exercises? Five lazy, put it like the, uh, five tips for lazy people or five tips for mothers who do not have a lot of time that they can do. See, like the stretching, why I can do the stretching twice a day? Because I do it immediately, I wake up and I do it just before I go to bed. Mm -hmm. So I don't have, and then if my daughter wakes up the time that I wake up and she sees me doing it, do you know what this child of mine does? She comes and climbs on top of uh -huh. my back. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I'm not, I'll, I'll give you some tips. I would say one, and, and this, this tip in particular is a little bit more focused on lower back pain than it is on your mid-back pain. Um, and that's definitely what I specialize in is the lower back, so everything below your ribs, in essence. And, and that would be to just, yeah. just prior to doing something that like getting out of a chair or turning over in bed, these are often activities that trigger back pain, is to just sniff in sharply and hold that breath. Um, so as you sniff and hold, you're contracting all those abdominal muscles and that helps to stabilize your lower back. So whether you're turning over in bed, lifting the baby, anything that's kind of moderately strenuous, but not like lifting a super heavy weight where you would do it in um, sort of automatically. You know, if you're going to lift something heavy, people automatically kind of uh, tense up, but they don't tend to do it for these kind of mod modest everyday activities. So first tip I would say is sniff and hold. Um, the second tip, and this is the harder one, is to try and set aside some time to do some exercises, what I call preventer exercises, that will make you stronger in the long run. 
Um, it probably, you know, even if you started by doing two minutes, um, just once a day, that would establish the habit. And a great time to do it is brush your teeth, do your exercises. So if you're going to try and establish a new habit like doing exercises on a daily basis, try and attach that to an existing habit like brushing your teeth. Because otherwise, and I've seen this thousands of times in nearly 30 years of practice, people have good intentions and they say, oh, yeah, I'll do my exercises once a day. But they just forget to do them. There's never a good time. So try and attach that new habit to an existing one and then build on it. So just start with two minutes. But before you know it, you know, you'll be up to five minutes and maybe even 10 minutes. And if you did 10 minutes a few times a week, I promise you, you will see a significant change in the robustness of your back. Another important thing is try not to worry about your back. Um, and I'm going to get a little bit sciencey here, but we know that the more you focus on a pain, the more you think about it, you actually um, strengthen the what are called the synapses, the connections between different nerve cells in your brain. And this is how we learn stuff. So if you want to learn a new language, you focus on that. You keep repeating the words. The synapses in your brain that make up those words get stronger. Unfortunately, it's the same thing for pain. If you focus on the pain and think about it a lot, those interconnections in the brain that make up the pain pathways, they get stronger too. So that would be a big tip is try and keep busy, engaged in other things and not spend too much time actually thinking about your pain. I know that's hard to do when your pain is really unbearable, but I promise there is good science behind that advice. And then coming back to this use it but don't abuse it principle. So the more movement that you can do that doesn't hurt, the better. Okay, okay. That sounds that sounds like a plan. So I was reading up about you on your website, mm -hmm. and you and on your website it said that you have this equation for yeah. pain, but I couldn't find any information about what this equation for uh, pain was. Yeah, so I recently published an article on LinkedIn, um, sort of elaborating that equation, and first um, first proposed the equation for pain on my own podcast back in November last year. And it was based on my own experience. Well, it's based on the fact that I have, a, I have a master's degree in clinical management of pain, so I understand how pain works. But it really was triggered by I was cycling to work one day last summer and I got stung by a wasp. And I decided, because uh, I'm a bit, a bit geeky and sciencey this way, to observe that pain and see how different factors influenced my pain. So as I'm cycling along, um, I noticed that when I was busy and engaged, so if there was like a lot of traffic or whatever, I had no pain at all. And if my legs were moving vigorously, I had no pain at all. But when I stopped at traffic lights and was able to think about my leg, it was there. It was sore. And um, so, so that kind of made up the broad observations that I had. And, and actually, I should add, one, one thing as I was thinking about my pain was, oh, I wonder what would happen if I had an anaphylactic shock. Um, now, I have to say, I've never had an anaphylactic shock in response to um, a wasp's thing. But, you know, it does make you a bit anxious thinking about that. And that seemed to make my pain worse as well. So... 
That's a long way about introducing the equation for pain. And uh, thanks for listening to that long explanation. So the equation is that your pain, P, equals uh, N. Now, th this is going to be a little bit technical, but N means nociception. Now, nociception is what happens out there in your body when something noxious happens. Nociceptors are little nerve endings that detect a noxious event. So N is one of the variables. Nociception minus, so P equals N minus movement without pain. So movement without pain is, is a good thing. So P equals N minus movement without pain plus positive outlook minus, sorry, plus negative outlook minus positive outlook, which is a kind of long-winded way of saying stress, uh, plus attention to body part plus pre previous volume of pain. And that is the equation. I know it's long-winded, but is it okay for me to break it down a little bit? Explain each each variable. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll go for it. So. No more about this. Yeah, and and bear in mind, this is not just a little pet theory. This is firmly grounded in science. So we know that nociception, what happens out there in your body, is not necessary to experience pain. So and a good example of this, and again, that article I wrote on LinkedIn had, had this, um, well, one example is phantom limb pain. So you could have someone yeah. who has had an amputated limb, but they go on to experience pain in that limb. Now, there's no nerve endings in the limb because the limb doesn't exist anymore. So there's no nociceptive input. There's no nociception there at all. Their pain is all generated elsewhere. So nociception is one variable, but it's not necessary. Then you've got movement without pain. Now, if, as I said, with the use it but don't abuse it principle, the more that you can move both the body part that's sore and any other body part that isn't sore without pain, the better. That actually reduces your experience of pain. So movement is a good thing. And it's why, you know, if you bang your thumb with a hammer, you jump around. You know, you can't sit still with that pain. You just have to jump around. It's like, you know, your, your body just knows you have to move. So movement yeah. without pain reduces pain. Then we've got negative outlook. Now, if you're someone who's pessimistic, um, if you're also, if you like, clinically someone who's prone to depression or anxiety, you will experience more pain, unfortunately. The flip side of that is if you can take a positive outlook, if you can look on the bright side and say, oh, oh, then you're less likely to experience much pain. Then, as I mentioned earlier, we've got this attention to body parts. So the more you think about that sore bit, the, the sore it's going to be. And finally, previous volume of pain. We know that pre, the more and volume means intensity, so how loud was the pain? but it also means the amount of pain that you've had. So if you've had a really severe pain in the past, it kind of lodges in your central nervous system as a memory. And equally, if you've had a long-term, as you've had, a long-term and persistent and recurring pain, that pain gets kind of built into your system. So the more pain you've experienced in the past, the more likely you are to have pain in the future. So that is... That is my equation for pain. Interesting. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to explain it 
quite in-depth for us. And now, if any of the listeners wanted to connect with you, uh, maybe they had more questions, um, how can they find out more about all the work that you're doing or, you know, just how do they connect with you? Sure. Um, thanks for that. Um, so our website is active-x.co.uk. You can find me on the socials, on Twitter and Facebook at ActiveXBacks. That's just all one word, active, and then the letter X and backs. And I would be delighted to respond to any uh, any messages coming my way, any questions that you might have. I also run uh, webinars. Um, so there, there's a free events for anyone that wants to come and learn about um, how to solve their own back pain. So that's always a good platform to connect with me there as well. Okay, how where do they find out information about your next webinar? Um, well, I, I will very happily share it with you, Segalola, um, and perhaps you can put it in the show notes. Um, equally, on our website, um, you, if you look on active-x.co.uk, there is a tab that says resources, and underneath that, there is a link uh, or a section for, um, uh, for these webinars. Awesome. And what would also be very useful is if you could send me a link to that LinkedIn article you talked about. I think that's the one sure. where you wrote your equation for pain. Yeah, definitely. I'd be happy to share that. Yeah. So if you include that in the link you sent to me, then I can add it to the show notes. So if you're listening and you want to read up about um, Gavin's um, equation for pain on LinkedIn, it will be in the show notes. If you want to see the link to his latest uh webinar again it will be in the show notes uh, well everybody it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Shekel Salam show I hope you've enjoyed listening to Gavin talk about pain management um, if you enjoyed this episode please share it with everyone in your network because you never know who might benefit from it so until next time it is the Shekel Salam show bye now and that brings us to the end of today's episode of the Shekel Salam show um, I hope you've enjoyed listening to today's episode. Um, I would really appreciate it if you would consider leaving a review of the show because it sort of helps me know what I'm doing right, what I'm not doing so right, and what I need to improve. Um, if you know anyone else who would benefit um, or who would enjoy the show, please do share the show with everyone in your network. Thank you very much. And until next time, again, it is the Shagilala Salami Show. Bye now.